My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today, we are going to do something a little bit different. We are going to have Susan from my team run the episode. So I did a group of these, oh, about a month or so ago, and I got such a good response for them. I thought I would air another one. We have some more in the works, and I'm not sure if I'm going to put them all out on the podcast. There was a few that we decided maybe did not belong on the podcast, but some of the ones that I really, really liked, I thought we would share them with you because it's so illustrative. Someone who is actually going through through this process, who's looking at different countries, the bank accounts, the residencies, the different plan B options. I just think it's really, really great. And I thought it would really help you guys who are listening to it. So today's episode is hosted by Susan James from my team. You guys probably know her from the forum, from expatmoneyforum.com, where she is very active and she helps a lot of people. I work with her on a daily basis. She's been with me for years on this company and she is amazing. So I trusted her with this. And on the other side is Ken. Ken is a very long-term client of mine. I've been working with him for years, and he's just a great, great human being. So I'm really excited about this conversation and to share with you what they're going to be discussing. Now, before we jump into that, I thought, you know what? You guys, if you don't have a ticket so far for our upcoming summit at Expat Money Summit, then you should definitely do that. It is coming up very, 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 very soon. So I want you to go to expatmoneysummit.com You'll see a big orange button on there. You click on it and it'll have three different options for tickets. There is a VIP ticket with a bunch of bonuses. If you guys want those, that's a paid ticket. But if you're not sure if this is going to be something that you like or something that you want to get a hold of, then I want you to just pick up the free ticket. Grab that free ticket right now and secure your spot for expatmoneysummit.com. Okay? So that's it. I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. If you got a lot out of it, then please reach out to me. Let me know on the forum. Or if you want to work directly with me, then you guys can go to expatmoney.com. And up in the top right-hand corner, you'll see a button there and you can make an application to work with me. I work mostly with high net worth individual private clients to help them go through these things. And it's really a one-on-one type of service. But the response, as you see through these episodes, is really, really fantastic. People get a ton of value for it. And it's just an amazing experience. I really love this type of work. So if you want to work with me one-on-one, then go to expatmoney.com, fill out an application, and I will talk to you soon there. Otherwise, yes, enjoy the episode. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so we'll start with your name and where you are now, or or your name and where you originally were from. 
Right. So my name's Ken. Yeah. When I first met Mikkel, I was living in California, but we have since moved to Arizona and that's still kind of our home base at this point. Great. So can you remember when was that? Like what were you doing in your life and what prompted you to meet with Mikkel? Right. So I had been interested in the offshore space for a long time. In fact, I remember in like 1992, when I was still very young, I was subscribed to a letter called International Living, which was mostly about people retiring overseas. And it's like, okay, well, I still have a few years. But I found an advertisement for McKill's book on a website somewhere. And I read his book. And then I started to follow his podcast. And in 2018, I believe we were traveling in, in the Los Angeles area to look at universities for my daughters. And Mikkel sent out an email saying, hey, I'm going to be in LA. Anybody want to get together for a drink? And I said, sure. And I was the only person who showed up. So Mikkel and I had a nice drink and a, a delicious steak dinner that I still think of these to this day. And that's how we got acquainted. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was 2018. So then, okay. So you didn't start working with him right away. What happened after that? So I think after that, we just kind of kept in touch through email now and then, but I believe it was 2019 when number one, the whole family, I took on a trip to Panama, Costa Rica, and Belize just to see Central America. I've never been there before, so I wanted to check it out and see whether it made any sense for, for us at all. And then at the same time, I decided to work with Mikkel formally. So I did the formal process of... Uh, going over like all life goals and finances and family and preferences and got a nice report back five pages long, 10 pages long. I forget that that laid out a plan of things that would be probably useful for me in my position. Great. I believe that was 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably was early 2019, right? I believe so. Yeah. Great. Okay. So you've now chatted with Mikkel. You've decided that you want to kind of move forward. So what did that look like? Okay. So actually let, let's go back a little bit. Why? What was your, your motivating factor? Because not everybody sees things the way that you and I see things. So what drove you to this point? So I think it's a combination of things. So first of all, my wife is from China. And so we, we already have like, an, and both of us lived in Japan. We actually met in Japan. So we already have a very strong international flavor to our lives. We moved to the U.S., we had kids, and then just went through the slog of raising kids and, you know, tried to travel when we could, but mostly you you have school, you have sports, you have everything, you're, you're really tied down. And I was kind of missing it. I really wanted to get out and see the world again and go places. And the same with her. Also, at the time, I said we were living in California in the Bay Area, which is crazy expensive. And I was starting to realize that when retirement comes... If I stay in the Bay Area, everything I have will just go to maintaining that lifestyle. Like keeping paying the mortgage, paying the property taxes, paying California taxes, like it's crazy expensive. And it's like, we're not going to be able to do, I mean, we'd be able to travel like for a week somewhere, but we're not going to be able to do like any real travel. And so I started to get into my mind that I wanted to sell my expensive California house and get out and deploy the money to, to do other fun things. At the same time, you know, this was during the President Trump era. And the whole country was kind of going crazy and saying things and believing things that were just demonstrably untrue on both sides of the political divide. And I started to get really worried because, you know, like I said, my wife's from China. I studied a lot about Chinese history in the 1990s, and I read a lot about the Cultural Revolution. And I couldn't shake the feeling that the same things that happened in China are happening here now. There's just a lot of parallels. And at first I thought I was crazy. And then I read two or three or four other commentators 
who, you know, fairly famous people who started saying, yeah, this looks like the Chinese cultural revolution happening in America. And so I thought, you know what, it's a good idea to have an escape pass somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like if things go south, like then we want to go south, right? Like we want to get get out of Dodge. So it was the reason I started down the path was with Mikkel was primarily at that time for getting residence was as in a, a plan B, as an escape place that I could get to. Our plan prior to that had just been to kind of do like a roving retirement, maybe go three months here, three months there, three months there, just on tourist, tourist visas and take a couple years once the kids were in school or in college. But I realized like, well, if, if we don't want to come back to the US, that's pretty precarious. So we need to have a place where we can go and stay and not be on the cl- ticking clock to have to go back. Right. And then of course, 2019 hits and we have COVID and we have all these lockdowns. And- yeah. During that time frame, were you able to get out and travel and do things? And talk to me about that. Yeah. So, well, it's interesting because the report I got from Michael recommended residents in Panama is probably a good, in those days, it was fairly cheap, simple, fast option. So I started to do that in 2019 before COVID. And then I chickened out. I got, I contacted the the lawyer in Panama City and we set things up. And I was like, uh, before I sent the money, I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. And then 2020 came in and COVID hit. And I was like, oh, shoot, I really should have done that. Right. So during the early part of the year, it wasn't really possible to travel. In fact, Panama was closed. It was very difficult to travel anywhere in the world. So I went down to Panama in December of 2020 and started the process to do the work that we needed to do to get our residence. And then with the family, we were back in Panama in early 2021 to complete the process. And then in summer of 2021, again, to <laughs> to do some more, uh, some more of the follow-on process there. So we were able to get out and travel. In those days, all you needed to do, well, all you needed to do was take these dumb tests, you know, to get into Panama and get back into the U.S. So you're constantly sticking things in your nose all over the place. But it, it went just fine for us. During that time, you know, as part of getting the residence, you, you get a bank account to show one of your ties to the country. So that was another check marks off the box is like, okay, I feel better now. Like right now in the West, people's bank accounts are being shut down for like very arbitrary reasons. So it's like, at least I have something somewhere where I have, you know, another financial account. And then we also ended up buying a small condominium on the beach a few hours outside of Panama City. So it really led me to have a great sense of peace of mind because it's like, look, we have to leave. We've got permanent residence cards. We've got an apartment. And we got a bank account with a little bit of money in the apartments paid off. So it's like, there's not like a mortgage or anything. So if, if I had to, if, if it really came to like the crazy thing of having to flee, like Robert Kiyosaki says in three days, like get somewhere else. Like we're pretty set up for a life there. Like we have a place we can live, nice place. We have a little bit of money in the bank. We have residence cards. So it really does give you a, a good sense of peace of mind. It's like, okay, we wouldn't get there and like be completely lost. Like we already have a basis of a life running at the moment. That's great. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, the house, I think the house is just such a big, big part of it. You know, like you said, the residency card, someplace to live, you can get in and out. Panama is a hub. And from here, people, you can fly anywhere. You can fly to South America, anywhere in Central America. In fact, Europe is direct flights. Turkish Air has direct flights. So, you know, whether it comes to being shut down, I mean, it's a good place to stay anyways. If you if you went to Hell in a Handbasket in the U.S., you could live here and never have to worry. We've got great restaurants and the beach. You're right on the beach. So that's great. So 
you mentioned earlier that you had done a little bit of traveling through Central America. So now I understand you have been to Mexico. Talk to me a little bit about Mexico. Yeah, we went to Mexico simply because we live in Arizona now. And so people talk about war between the U.S. and Russia. Okay, if that were to happen, you know, we can jump in the car and be in Mexico like in an hour and a half. So it made a lot of sense to, even though it's generally been fairly easy for Americans to get into Mexico as a as a tourist, like there's things you can't do if you're if you're just a tourist. And so we went and went through the residency process in Mexico as well. But before doing that, yeah, we spent I took my wife there in 2021 and we spent a month in Mexico City and we both loved it a lot. Now, personally, I'm a little bit scared of cities right now, given what's uh, the, the the crises in energy and food that we're having. Like, it's definitely going to be worse in the city than in the countryside. We went back then and spent a month in the city of Querétaro, which is about, that's about two-hour drive north of Mexico City, maybe two, three hours, I forget. And that's a smaller town. It's only two or three million people versus Mexico City, which is like 25 million people. So, but it's still a very nice place. Like, the food in Mexico City is astonishing. It's really, really, really good. And coffee shops and bars and museums, and it's just a, a cultural mecca. It's really beautiful. Querétaro is more like a, a town where you would go raise your kids and, you know, play sports and have a nice job working for, you know, some large company or something. It's very, it's really nice. It's, it's you know, it's a three million person city, but with the kind of the feel of a, of a small town, more or less, it's kind of spread out. I enjoyed it there. It's not, again, not as exciting and, and not as much cultural variety as there is in the city. But I mean, that would be true with any, it's it's 10 times smaller. <laughs> so, yeah. And three million yeah, is still a lot of people. I mean, three million is still like, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's stuff there. There's stuff there for sure. And uh, yeah, so we really enjoyed Mexico. I mean, I've, I've heard this said before is like, because of the influence of the U.S., like the culture and the brands and the habits of Mexico. I mean, it's still very much a unique culture from the U.S., but it's influenced as well. Right. Right. And so it's a little bit less foreign than if you were to go to, I don't know, Honduras or something like that. Right? Right. It would be maybe a little bit more of a culture shock when you get down there. So Yeah. Because Panama has been influenced by the U.S., but we don't have the big box stores and we don't have that influence, for whatever reason, the Panamanian government just decided, no, they wanted to protect Panama, the people of Panama, from Walmart and, you know, all those companies. So I understand Mexico, that that makes sense, that they're trying to get people to come down. And if if, they're, if it's similar, they're more than likely, will they'll come down and spend their money there. So, so I get yeah. that, yeah. And the other thing is true too, so many educated Mexicans have been to the US and they've been to these stores and like, hey, we like Costco, can we have one too? You know, so the, the shoppers are also like clamoring for it. They're like, hey, this is a really good idea, you know, yeah. so. Okay, so a little bit about Mexico, a little bit about Panama. So tell me your experience with Mikel. So let's go back just a little bit. And so he was instrumental in your buying a condo here and your lawyer and all that. So tell me about the process of working through all of that with Mikel and his service providers. Yeah, well, because we have not yet permanently relocated to Panama, I had to do everything in chunks. So I know like everybody was introduced to me by Mikel and, you know, for as far as due diligence, like I basically, I trust Mikel. And so I trust his, I know he goes through like severe due diligence for his clients for, for the service provider. So I just kind of took them at face value and said, okay, this is the person that's the person. So I had to come down the first time and create my corporation and open my bank account. And then the second time we had to come down with the entire family 
And again, this was nice that we had COVID lockdowns because the girls didn't have to be in, in school. They were still in high school at that right. time. It's like, okay, we can actually, well, yeah, probably still both in high school. So we came down and the second time, then we had to make the application and go to the immigration center. And our lawyer had to go to the window and argue our case, why that we should be allowed to have, and she had a package of, of everything. This is why they make good residents of Panama. And we got through without a hitch. It's a lot of bureaucracy and you, you, know, you spend a, a whole day fiddling around in that building. And then after that, we got our residence cards, but then we came down again in the summer for several weeks. And I forget exactly what our administrative goal was at that time, but there's one more thing we had to do, sign, you know, sign some cards or do something or like one last piece of, we had to go back to the immigration uh, studio to do that. And so we took care of that at that time. During the second trip, we went to explore Panama a little bit, and Mikkel introduced us to a friend of his who lives up the coast at in this like beach community near Coronado, which uh, some people will know. And we just went and you know toured around Coronado, and and she showed us a building where that they were still constructing that had condos for sale. And you know we kind of looked at it and said, "Wow, this is really nice. It's a, a big destination for people who live in the city, natives and foreigners." And so the thought was, oh, we could buy this and then rent it out on Airbnb. What We got introduced to a property manager. Everything just kind of fell into our laps and it, it looked like a really good a deal. And so we were the first people to live in the apartment. Like it was done like the week before we got to Panama in, in the summer of 2021. And so we spent two weeks in our apartment and, uh, or I guess one week, I forget, but yeah, we loved it. It's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful location. It's, it's really wonderful. And since then we rented out on Airbnb, mostly short-term Airbnb. And how has that gone? Well, we got hammered by COVID in the beginning, yeah. right? So, so you know, the, the, Panamanian, the Panamanian government did a number on, on their economy. And so people just couldn't afford, like people lost their jobs. They lost their businesses like all over the world and just like the, and people couldn't travel. And so like definitely the first year was kind of depressed, but for all, I've been pretty happy with it. We go through periods where it's like book solid for months at a time. And then other periods where, you know, the, the low season where there's, it might be empty for a month. And, but overall, I think we're getting a reasonable return on, on investment and someone's there taking care of it. You know, people are coming, cleaning it. And if there's problems there, you know, they're calling repairmen. So you know, that feels good, <laughs> right? When we're not there. And I, you know what? I think that's huge because with our clients now, you know, we encourage them to rent it out and people will say, yeah, but I could do that myself. It's like, are you kidding? It's just not possible when you are not in the country and you don't know how things work down here. You need to have a property management company that knows what they're doing and that they do a good job. So yes, they take a fee, but in the end you do make some money and your property is safe and people are reliable. And yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that, that that's working out. So we were back in the apartment just uh, uh, earlier this year in 2022 and, you know, kind of poking around and saying, oh, look at this. Uh, like one of the legs on the sofa is bent a little bit. And, oh, I see a little crack in the grouting in the shower. And I just kind of wrote it all down and then talked to the building management to see if any of it was under warranty. But then my property manager just said, send me the list. I'll take care of it. Right. So I sent her the list. And then uh, like a month later, I'm like, so what happened to all those repairs? She goes, oh, yeah, we did them all. Like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. My property manager, her husband is Panamanian and he is the maintenance head guy. So she has the ear of the maintenance team. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she yeah. Keeps them, she keeps them under a tight leash. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That's good to know. Great. So when was the last time you were in Panama? So earlier this year. 
Is that the last time? Yeah, we spent close to, let's see, we came in around Valentine's Day and we left at the end of April. So we were there two and a half months, I guess. Yeah. And we spent some time in the city visiting with Mikel and his family. We spent some time with another friend of mine. So I have a good friend that I worked with 20, 25 years ago. And I spoke to him on the phone probably in 2020. And I said, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting residents in Panama. And he said, why, why would you want to do that? That sounds crazy, right? And so I kind of talked him through it. And he said, you know what, you have my attention. And the next time I talked to him, he's like, yeah, we're flying down to Panama next week to like do our residence. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what happened? And he said, well, I looked into what you said, and you were absolutely right. It's a great idea. And so they have since gotten their cards, and they kind of finished their processing in February. So we flew down and joined them. We spent a, a week on the beach in an Airbnb. We just rented a house to hang out with them. And so we hung out together. He and I both work remotely. So we just like were, you know, glued into the internet and, you know, we were literally across the street from the beach. So there's like one road, there's our house across the street, one house, and then the beach right there. So, and there was a, a path, right? Like right across from our gate. So it was practically like, you could hear the, the waves thundering all the time. And yeah, it was really nice. It was really quite nice. How was the internet there? It was, the internet was pretty good. We would have from time to time like outages and it would just, and we talked to the property manager and she called the internet company and there wasn't really, it's just like, that's just happens, you know, but not every day it would be maybe every other day or something. And sometimes we'd unplug, you know, reboot the router and plug it back and it would last like 15 minutes or something. But yeah, it could happen when you were on a zoom call and then suddenly (laughs) your office, whoops. So uh, yeah, it was, it was good enough to get it done, but yeah, it was a little bit inconvenient. I mean, you really get used to having the internet on. Like you do absolutely 24 seven. Like if there's a break, it's like a, a big disaster. Yeah. It's, it's kind I know of funny, in the city, but... I mean, we have a, a pretty strong system here, but we we're almost never without Wi-Fi, So it's great. So you were here for March 5th, weren't you? Yeah. Mikhail's that's right. Birthday. For the birthday party. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about that. Oh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So we all got all dressed up, even though it's pretty hot. We still, you know, put on our nice clothes and our long pants and uh, went out to, I don't know the name. It's an artificially generated yeah, island, Reef. I believe. Ocean, Ocean Reef. Reef. Yeah. Right off the uh, off the point of the Punta Puntilla in, in Panama City. And there was, oh, I don't know, 50 people there, probably. I didn't really count, but it was a nice and just very interesting people. So, you know, these were all like Bikel's friends and or clients. And there were people from all over the world, uh, couldn't even begin to name the list of countries, people who were of a like mindset. This is one of the things I really loved when I lived in Japan for uh, a total of about three years. But what I, and this is a long time ago, but what I found was that like people who are living, like expats who are living in say Japan, you know, expats who are living in Canada, it's like, okay, they're just living in Canada, but someone who comes and lives in Japan, like has something a little bit special. There's something different about them. And a lot of them would be like professionals, like they were sent there by their company. So, you know, we had research scientists and mathematicians, or we had CEOs or VPs or directors of like very large corporations. And because you're a distinct minority and uh, you end up meeting these people. So, you know, I would be in a bar and meet you know, the director of General Mills or something, and we'd have a beer. And it's like, this is just not something that would happen in, in the US. Like we don't frequent the same places. But in Tokyo, everyone's looking, you know, uh, or any place overseas, they're looking for it every now and then they want a little touch of home and talk to someone in their native language and just like, did you notice this? Yeah, I, you're like, why is that happen? Right? Like kind of trying to figure out another culture. 
So the same thing happened at Mikkel's birthday party. It's like these people are not the the normal people you meet at Safeway, right? Like they have something special. They've ventured out. They have a special belief or a special wanderlust or, or and they have the courage to go out and live in a different culture in a different country. So the, the conversations were just endlessly fascinating. It was a great time. We saw a beautiful sunset over the ocean there and really kind of amazing. Took a bunch of great pictures. My wife loves to take pictures, but yeah, it was great. And we actually met another couple that is now customers of Mikkel who live also in Arizona. And we're trying to arrange to meet up with them. Our schedules haven't quite overlapped yet, but you know, so we made some new friends that we hope to socialize with the, uh, as well. Cool. That's awesome. Great. So yeah, the birthday party was amazing. It was just more than we could have even imagined. I loved it. I often will watch the YouTube video. You know? <laughs> just like, I do. Those I, were the days. Yeah. I know. It's like I watch it. It's just like it brings tears to my eyes because it's just everybody, like you said, like-minded people just you know, it was beautiful. It was well done. Your speech with Mikkel. I mean, that was great. Those are just spontaneous <laughs> things. And they just, they, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. That was short notice. Yeah. 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 yeah it was, Well, what I mean, and, and I know lots of people have comment on this, but it, it's so nice to be somewhere where you can, with people, you can just speak your mind. You know that they're, they're at least somewhat sympathetic. They may not have the exact same views as you, but you can come and you can say, wow, I think this is a problem. I think that's a problem. I'm really upset by this. And they don't cancel you. They're like, oh yeah, let's talk about that, right? And you have these very interesting, and you know, I talked to a Danish guy who lives in Portugal and we talk about what we see going on in the world. His perspective is very different from mine, but we agree quite a bit and, you know, had great conversations or or a Finnish guy living with a Thai wife in Panama City. It's like, wow, okay, that's an interesting perspective that just me going down to the coffee shop here, I'm not going to find that perspective, right? So it was very interesting. And it was very, and again, you can talk about anything with this group. Like there's not going to be, no one's going to like freak out or cancel you or report you to the authorities or something like that. Yeah, no kidding. And I think that's one of the reasons we do what we do is for community, is to build this community, is to build it strong and with like-minded people. And that, yeah, you don't live in fear of being canceled. So, you know, I had a chat with my friend the other day who's, who her, one of her very good friends of 30 years under her doctor's advice, and she did this by a Christmas card, had to stop seeing my friend because of the different views that they had on what has been happening over these last two years. Right. Like after 30 years of being a friend, like it's mind boggling. It's still happening after, I mean, this was Christmas. Now we're, you know, 10 months in, nine months in, but still like it boggles my mind that, you know, there's such diversity, like her division division you know so i've had the same i mean i think everybody's got stories like this i've got the same thing when we did move back to arizona i know a good friend of mine that i went to college with or graduate school with was here and so i reached out to her and on the very first email she let me know that kind of not super directly but like if i didn't share the views on medical treatments and things like that i wasn't really welcome in her circle right And I was like, wow, that was one of the reasons I was looking forward to moving here. You know, getting out of California was one thing, but I have a couple of friends who are here that I knew for a long time. And we haven't been close over the years, but we were very close. And it's like, wow, it'd be fun to renew the friendship. And it's like, yeah, no, not unless you're on my team, right? I just can't. And it's a similar thing. You, You talk about forming small communities and everywhere I turn, that's the advice I'm getting from all the people I follow is like, you got to get some like-minded people. And it's just very difficult here if you're living in the U.S. because most people, you know, it can't happen here. Everything's fine. We're just going to elect a new guy and everything's going to be great. 
you know, that kind of attitude. And even the people who, who see what's going on, there's just so much inertia being in your home country and your home house that you've had for 10 years. Like, it's very hard. I say, come on, let's, let's meet for coffee. And they're like, uh, <laughs> you know? so it's just been hard to mobilize anyone to get together. And so, but it's very different when you're living overseas because people are always looking for friends. You know, you always nice to have a little news from home or someone you can compare notes with, or, you know, and, and you know that those people are generally going to be pretty open to what you have to say. So, yeah. And we have a lot of Americans down here, like a lot in <laughs> yeah. Canada now, like with all the stuff that's happening in Canada, my home country, it's just a mess. And so many of the Canadians don't see it, you know, so that's, that's tough, but the Canadians that do see it, you know, they're calling us and they're like, I need help. I need to get out. You know, what do I need to do to make this transition? So as we wrap up things, let's just chat a little bit about Mikhail and what he does and so we get calls every day, you know, like every day somebody reaches out for advice. So what would you say to them, if you could, on working with Mikhail? Like, is he trustworthy? Is he a good guy? Is he who he says he is? Does he really have all this information or is he just a blowhard? Yeah, no, I, Mikhail is very, uh, he is who, who he is, right? And what you hear him talk about on the podcast and when he expresses his opinions and, and says, look, we do this, we do that, like, that's the truth. When you meet him in person, he's not like a different guy, right? So it's very much no pretense. And I know that he's super particular about the service providers he works with. Like, he often tells me about, like, the, the diligence he goes through before he recommends to his clients, hey, why don't you go use this person, Right. And so you can be pretty sure that these people are not going to be charging you, you know, the gringo price, or they're like not going to be the person that he said they were, right? Because it's very difficult. Like if I want to do due diligence on a service provider in Panama, it's like, that's very difficult for me, especially sitting here, right? Far away and, uh, you know, trying to do something, you know, in, in, in the West, maybe you can find everything you need on the internet, maybe. But when you go into other parts of the world, it's just not quite as a, a there's not quite as much information online. And so, and then it's all in Spanish, which makes another barrier to like uh, trying to parse out what exactly does this say, right? So Mikhail is very straightforward. Yeah, he's very honest. Again, like he works with high quality people and he's got his pulse on a lot of what's going on around the world. You know, there are, like they say, like, I don't know, 210 other countries. So it's hard for any one person to be up on everything that's going on everywhere. But Latin America and parts of Europe, Middle East, like yeah, Mikhail's definitely dialed in uh, very well there. Excellent. Okay. So if you were to talk to somebody and they were kind of on the on the fence and they weren't really sure whether they should make the move, you know, whether it was Panama or one of the Caribbean countries or somewhere in Europe, what would you say to them? Would you say no, stay still, or would you say move forward? I think so. My personal feeling is that these next 10 years are going to be unlike the previous 10 years in every single way, right? And and exactly how is very difficult to tell. There's hundreds of scenarios that to me sound plausible. And so the people who also see this, I see some of them recommending, okay, buy yourself a farm, set up food production, get yourself a little rural, like five acre plot. And to me, I kind of feel that would be great. First of all, I'm a little bit older. So I don't know that I want to start a farm at, the, at this age, right? Like, and I, have, I have two daughters who like are not interested in farming. So, uh, you know, well, how am I going to do that? And the second thing is to me, it's like, well, what if that place goes bonkers, right? Now you've invested everything in this little plot of land. And when the army shows up and says, you have to take these medicines, like, what are you going to do? 
right? You can't take your farm somewhere. So to me, I think options are the way I'm structuring my life. It's like, I want to have options to go here. I want to have options to go there. If they attack me on this front, I want to have another option over here. If I can't live here, then I can live there. If this goes sour, then I can go there. So just like in the international space, they talk about the flag theory, about planting flags in different countries. And I think that's more of the of the the approach that I'm taking. So unless you're I think those are the two paths I would recommend to people like, look, if you if you definitely don't want to leave, get yourself a farm, fortify it, buy a bunch of chickens and cows and ammunition, (laughs) whatever you need, like make sure you're self-sufficient so you can survive if things go south. If you're not willing to do that, then get some options, right? Get, Get like, you know, get a place where you can go, like Robert Kiyosaki says, three days, you can be set up and living there and working get yourself a a source of income that's mobile. Either you're skilled, like if you're a plumber, you can go somewhere and start plumbing, right? It's it's not that hard. Or you work online. So like myself, I can take my work with me. I just take my laptop, right? And I can keep working and then get options, get options to live, options to, for finance and banking, you know, if you can start a second stream of income so that if, if you get canceled at your first job, at least you have something coming in, whether that's passive or active, I don't know. But yeah, I would say like if someone's on the fence, it was a lot easier decision a couple of years ago before Panama raised the price, right? It's funny to me that in 2019, I was like, wait, it's going to cost me $5,000. And then I have to pay the lawyer like another 8,000. It's like, well, that's a lot of money. And now it's like, oh, now it's 250. So you know, it's like, yeah, that, that looks like ultra cheap in comparison. And it really is. It's not that cheap, right? Like, so you can go to places like Mexico where you can just show income and they, they will grant you a residence permit. But those, there's not a lot of places where you don't have to like pony up the cash, right? And so the other advice I would have for people is like, you look at Panama, like this thing can change on the dime at any time. So if you've got a place that looks good and it's within your budget and you feel comfortable with it, I'd say pull the trigger. Because if you wait a year, like I did, I almost got shut out, right? I almost missed the deadline for the $5,000 and went up to the 250, which would have been probably, I would have not have done it at that point. So yeah, I would say like, it does feel like a big jump, but when you get those residence cards, you kind of look at it and you go, ah, wow. Okay. Now I've got an option. I can go somewhere. They have to let, they, they will let me in if I show these at the airport. Right. You know? That's great. Well, Ken, thank you so much for taking the time with me today. You know, we've, we've been actually on the, on the line for almost an hour. So that's great. This will be a great little interview. I love it. Thank you so much. Oh, great. Nice talking to you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.